0: Well, good evening. We got got a few things that we want to remind you of, especially by way of prayer requests. So um, we want to continue to lift up Jim McKay. Uh, He's in the hospital. He's out of intensive care. Um, But, you know, he still has a a long way to go in recovery. So uh, we want to make sure to lift him up. Um, Last I heard, he still hasn't moved his left arm and uh and he's still confused about uh about things so we want to continue to pray continue to lift him up we don't want to neglect that at all also alan called me uh this evening right before service his sister uh passed out at the store he's at the emergency room with her so we are not really sure uh exactly how she's doing or what's going on um when I had talked to Alan, she was okay, but they, they're checking her out and trying to, to figure out what's going on. So we want to make sure that we're lifting her up in prayer as well. Uh, I know John, I've seen John come in. There he is. I've seen John come in. We want to make sure we're lifting John up and Marv as well. Um, so we have a lot of things going on, a lot of reason to pray. I would encourage you, uh, if you're not already uh, connected with uh, uh, Susan Jones with her... Um, She emails out prayer requests during the day and updates on how people are doing, and kind of use it as a reminder to pray when you when you get a chance to see it come up on your email. So I'd encourage you, uh, if she doesn't have your email, just get it to her, drop her a line, and say, "Hey, would you send me the the prayer requests emailed, and uh, and then you'll be able to get those then as well." So we'll yes, ma'am. It's okay. Oh, very good. So in case you didn't hear, David had his surgery on his knee, and that's going well. So again, we want to make sure we're lifting all these, all of these requests up. So we're going to take a moment before we get started, and we're going to pray uh, for all these different issues that, that God's going to continue uh, to do the work that He's already begun and promised to complete. So let's lift it up. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you right now, Father, and we... Uh, we just lift up all of these concerns, Father. We we lift up Jim McKay and pray that you would continue to, to heal him, Lord, that, that you would reverse uh, whatever damage there is, Lord God and Father, that you would raise him up, Lord Jesus. And and we thank you uh, for John Roberts and we thank you for David uh, Brush who came through their surgeries and we pray your continued hand upon them as you uh, get them back up and, and able to go, Father God. We. We praise you for that. And Lord, we also want to lift up to you um, Alan's sister, Father, and the situation there. And we pray, God, uh, that you would just move uh, in a mighty way in regard to that as well, Lord. And, and Father, we just, we just come before you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. And Father, even in all of these things, you're still on the throne. And even with all of these concerns and all of these issues, God, you're still moving in a mighty way Lord Jesus and we just pray that you would continue to do your perfect work as we lay this evening before you father we ask that you would give unto us eyes to see and ears to hear we pray God that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word Lord we ask that you might be glorified and magnified in this place as we seek to honor you in Jesus name we pray amen well if you have your Bibles with you this evening would you open up to the book of Exodus And we're going to continue our ongoing journey through the Old Testament on on Wednesday nights. We find ourselves in Exodus chapter 3. And you may remember last time we were introduced to uh, Satan's attempt to thwart God's plan, uh, trying to wipe out the the children of Israel, um, you know, casting the babies into the Nile River. It's interesting because here Pharaoh's trying to wipe out, Uh, god's plan and what does he end up doing housing the deliverer paying for the deliverer raising the deliverer training the deliverer taking care of all those things so it's funny how so many times guys think that they're going to thwart god's plan satan thinks he's going to somehow be able to stop it but the reality is that god is able to do abundantly above what, what we can think or imagine and that God never has is, is stopped working. You know, all those 400 years the children of Israel were there in captivity in Egypt. I'm sure there were many times they thought, well, you know, God's forgotten about us. But God was still working. God was growing them into a mighty nation from 70 to 2.5 million. God was doing His perfect plan. And He raised up the Deliverer. And then it, when Moses was 40 years old, you remember, he, he thought he would go down and begin to deliver the people, so he killed an Egyptian. And after he killed an Egyptian, he went to go break up a fight between two Hebrews, and what did they say? What, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses, deciding that everyone knows about it, and oh, I'm in trouble, and I failed, what have you, he ran off to the backside of the desert. He went to the, the famous school at the backside of the desert a lot of God's people go to the backside of the desert it's a good place to be trained and that's where Moses goes to the backside of the desert remember we talked also about pattern when we talk about pattern when we look at the old testament the new testament you want to see common patterns because they paint pictures for us for example you'll hear it say said later on that Moses is a type of Christ one of the ways he's a type of Christ is simply the first time he's presented as a deliverer, the people reject him. The second time, he's received. The first time Christ came, he's rejected. The next time he comes, he'll be received. And so we see these patterns. We want to be open to them. Now, Moses goes to the backside of the desert. He, he bails out some women shepherds. And out of the deal, he gets a wife. Jockbed. Or, or, I'm sorry, not Jockbed. Zipporah, which means bird. So Zipporah becomes his wife. He has a son. He names his son strangers here because he felt like he was always going to be a stranger. He, He wasn't, he was a stranger in Egypt. Now he's a stranger here in Jethro's house. But was God done with Moses? No. Is God done with us? He's not ever done, he's constantly moving. We're constantly, hopefully, growing, moving forward to be used by him. Well, in chapter 3, we see that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. It's not even his own flock. He's tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. Now, again, he's on the backside of the desert. I don't know exactly what that's like, but it can't be good. The backside of the desert. Well, here he is. And... He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Horeb is the range of mountains, the specific mountain that's the mountain of God is Mount Sinai. We're going to see that later on when the law is given, but this is where He has come. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So He looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And we're introduced here again to another character we've seen before in the book of Genesis, the angel of Yahweh, the angel of capital L-O-R-D. And we're going to understand that hopefully a little better as we look tonight, but anytime you see in your Bible capital L-O-R-D, it's what's called the Tetragrammaton, which means it's the four consonants that make up the very name of God, Yahweh, the Y-H-V-H. The very name, the impronounceable name, because it's all it's all consonants. So that that is when we see this angel, the angel of Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, we, we look at that, we're always needing to understand and recognize that we're not dealing with a regular angel. You see, the angel of the Lord, the word angel means what? Messenger. The messenger. Of God. And what's the best way to give a message? Isn't it by words? We share words, we're given message. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The message from God, the messenger of Yahweh, the Word of God. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord, you are looking at what theology calls a theophany or a Christophany. It's an appearance of Christ before He's manifest in the flesh. The Bible's very clear and tells us no one can see the Father and live. Who reveals the Father to us? Jesus Christ. And so when we see the angel of capital L-O-R-D, that's what the Bible is talking about. That manifestation, that, that visible essence of God that is seen throughout the Old Testament. And so in this case... We see it as uh, him as a bush. The fire is in the bush, but not consuming the bush. Listen, guys, we also saw Abraham. Abraham saw the Lord. What did he see? A burning torch passing between the two groups of sacrifices that he had split down the middle when God made his covenant with Abraham. What about Jacob? Jacob saw the angel of the Lord as a man whom he wrestled with. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? And Joshua, Joshua in the conquest, the eve of going after Jericho, who did he see? The captain of the Lord's army. A, a man ready in, in warrior garb. The angel of the Lord, again. So he's revealed in various ways, but the way we understand him is as a Christophany. An appearance of Christ prior to him Coming. I'm not saying he's there in physical human form, but he's visible in some way, and he's speaking forth to them the very words of God. And when they listen, they attribute the words to who? To Almighty God. And God spoke to him from the bush. Let's take a look. So the angel of the Lord in the midst of this bush is going to begin to speak to him. And Moses said, now, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw, again, that's the covenant name of God, you see it, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the very name of God. When God saw, or the Lord saw, that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Who talked to him out of the middle of the bush? God Almighty. Who talked to him out of the middle of the bush? The angel of the Lord, who we know as the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see Jesus functioning in this capacity throughout the Old Testament. Well, let's take a look. So, as he turned aside, Moses answered unto the Lord and said, Here I am. And he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. You know, the, the, the place where he was was Horeb, but It means desolate. So he's in a desolate desert place. It's not pretty. It's not a, a beautiful place or a place that you might want to go to camp out or, or enjoy the scenery. It's a desolate place. But listen, a desolate place is made holy in the presence of God. Isn't it? What about our lives? Have our lives ever been desolate? But aren't our lives made holy by the presence of God? Because we are what? The temple of God. Where does God reside? In us. It's not in in a building. God doesn't live in a building made with hands. He lives in us. Those of us who who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we are there before Him, standing before Him, desolate Sometimes hopeless, but made holy by what? The presence of God. The presence of God. So the desolate is made holy. He takes off his, his sandals. And moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know, I never get tired of reading that because it gives me such incredible hope. Do you realize that God is not afraid to be called By your name. I'm the God of Jackie. That kind of blows my mind. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. But as soon as he said I'm the God of Jacob. He got right in there in a category with me. Jacob was, Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob struggled his entire life, didn't he? Ups and downs, failures and successes, victories, defeats. But yet God says, I'm the God of Jacob. Man, that's so incredible to just wrap your mind around the fact that God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of me. It gives me strength to realize I need not be ashamed of Him. That that I can stand strong for Him because He's always there in our corner, isn't He? He's always there believing and we're going to see is that as he builds on this concept he is the god of abraham of isaac and of jacob and moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon god and then the very next verse and the lord said again the covenantal name of god it's important that we recognize that capital l-o-r-d because there are times when it's attributed to jesus in the new testament And there are people who want to say, Jesus is not God, but then we can read very plainly in the Scripture that He is. Well, as we continue, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land flowing with milk and honey, To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Listen, don't let this just pass over. But listen to what he's really saying. Listen, the Lord said, I have seen the oppression of my people. Next, I have heard their cry. Next, I know their sorrow next so I will come down to deliver them next to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey you know we look at the deliverance of God in these verses doesn't it mirror with the deliverance of God for the world it's the same pattern the same picture If we were to put the world's name in there rather than the children of Israel, it's the same thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We see it laid out for us right here as God delivers the people in the nation of Israel from Egypt. Now therefore, He says, Now therefore, behold, The cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore. It is time. Remember last time, chapter 1 and 2, we saw 40 years pass. We see 40 years as Moses grows, as he's educated. And as the book of Hebrews tells us, he made a choice not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but rather to suffer the affliction of his own people. Making that decision, then deciding he would try to deliver his own people by the might of the flesh, he failed and went out into the backside of the desert and spent 40 years in the backside of the desert. Now those 40 years are accomplished. Moses is 80. And he's just ready now to become the deliverer that God always intended him to be. Listen, God's never early and He's never late. He is right on time. And it's never too late, and it's never too early. If it is God-directed, then we hear these very words that God speaks to Moses. Come now. It's time now. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Take a look. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God said, hey, I have the job for you. Now you're ready. You you spent 40 years learning to be somebody and you weren't quite ready. Now you spent 40 years learning that you're nobody. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. But Moses is going to go through a series of of almost arguments with God about why he can't do it. Uh, He's going to go through his own worries about his inadequacy. Don't we all kind of face that when we know God's calling us to do something but... But really, who am I? And that's what Moses is going to tell us. Take a look. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Well, Moses, that is a big clue that you're ready. That's the first half of the answer that you need. But you have to be able to progress... From here to the next verse. Who am I is correct. Because didn't Jesus say without him you can do what? Nothing. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that without Jesus we can do nothing? Or do we think, how many times have we gone before God and said, Hey God, I got this one. Just a little thing. I can take care of this. It's so easy for us in the United States. You know, I was, I was in Mexico uh, doing a, a mission trip at a at a place called San Quintín down on the Baja. It's about six hours south of Ensenada. It's an Indian village down there. We would go down and uh, and buy down there garage doors, and we would build garage door houses, so that people that were living in cardboard boxes or in in houses just wrapped with with plastic or tarps could have a house and we would do it through the local churches so that they would tell us you know the needy folks in the area and and who we should go help and so we would go and we would do these things well in one particular house i remember we drove down the main highway we got to a dirt road and once we got on that dirt road we drove for 45 minutes down that dirt road till we came to this little Indian village and the Indians there in, in the Baja they pick the, the crops for the Mexican ranchers that are down there and they just live on the land so whatever the, the Mexican ranchers use to water their crops that's their water so they'll go out into the into, for lack of a better term pivot they don't have those out there but they'll they get the water from the irrigation they just scoop it up out of the mud sometimes and that's what they use for their water and we we went out there and we built this house and and the missionaries were out there and when the soon as the missionaries came guys all the people that had anybody sick in their family all the people who had any kind of problems they just began to line up and the missionary would sit there and and he'd have his bottle of oil and he'd anoint him with oil and he'd pray for him and do you know why it was a 45 minute drive just to the highway couple hours down that highway to get to a hospital and they don't have a car it's like you're in nowhere what do you do what do you do when when someone's sick what do you do when when someone is in need of something and and it was neat because i saw a mom with a a a brand new newborn and and she had come up and she was praising how she had prayed because she had run out of formula for the baby and she didn't have any formula for the baby and how God had provided formula for her. It wasn't that she just ran down to stop and go and picked it up. But they were in a place where they had to live on the reliance of trusting God for everything. And for for you and me, it's it's a little bit harder, isn't it? Because, hey, if I run out of milk, I go down to the store and get milk. I don't even think about it. But, and I'm not saying that that's somehow bad or wrong. It's just different. It's a different situation that we find ourselves in. So what does that mean? We have to really think about, am I relying on God? Am I with Moses when I say, who am I? I can't solve all these answers i can't just sit down and say well god has gifted me with intelligence and so i know exactly what we should do in this situation so how do we find it well the book of james tells us doesn't it the book of james says if any of you lacks wisdom what ask but don't ask doubting Don't ask God for wisdom. When you get down into the Greek, what it means is, don't ask God after you've already made up your own mind. And say, Lord, now bless what I'm thinking. It says, before you make your plan, ask God for wisdom. And then trust that God gives it to you as you put that plan together. And that's what it means then to to experience that living, relying on God in everything day to day moses says here he's in that place but he's only got half of it the first part who am i but the second part in the next verse look and he said god said i will certainly be with you it's not who you are it's who he is and that's the key it's not about who am i that's half of it it's not who am i but who are you It's not who am I, but I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded He is able to keep me. I know, I trust, I believe. And this is what God is saying to Moses, although Moses isn't quite here yet. He says, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, at the same time, when Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, Paul would write in Philippians 4.13, what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him. So it's not me, it's him. And so when we look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what does it tell us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. What does He promise to do? To direct our path. So if we want to live in the reliance of God, that's all that's required. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. The best way to do that is wake up in the morning and seek the Lord. Seek Him before you do anything else. Because if I wait, it'll be late in the day and i oh lord i've been running two-thirds of this day without you i got i better get back to where i left you now i didn't really leave him he's there and he's laughing right because we make plans and god laughs i want god's plan and so we want to lean on him that's why the bible calls us to do that in the morning to seek him to know him to say lord guide me today And then believe and trust that God is going to do it. That the Lord is going to do that work. So Jesus, or or the Lord says to him, Jesus too, hey, I'm going to be with you. I want you to think about this in comparison. Here you got Moses, 40 years, been nothing but a shepherd. And now God's called him to go to the most powerful man in the known world and tell him to let his people go. Now compare that to Jesus Christ walking around the shores of Galilee and calling up 12 disciples whom He would tell, go into all the world and declare the gospel. 12 disciples that had never left the region of Galilee their entire life. But what's the very next thing Jesus tells them? For lo, I am with you unto the end of the age. The point isn't Who are you? It's who is he. and trusting in his strength and power to carry us through. And that's the point God's getting across to Moses. But Moses, like us, he's got a a thick cranium. So it's going to take a while for, for Moses' head to soften. So then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they say to me, What is his name? Well, what shall I say to them? So he's got his, his second problem. Well, what if I show up and I say, God sent me, and they say, oh, what God? What, what name? What, what's your name? And so the Lord declares to him, So God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. I am that I am. In the the Hebrew, it's the closest thing we have to the four consonants of the capital L-O-R-D, the very name of God. It was so held in such esteem and regard That when a scribe came to write the name of God, he'd throw away his pen, get a new pen. He'd throw away the bottle of ink and get a whole new bottle of ink. He would go, take a shower, go through the mikvah, cleanse himself, put on a clean robe, and then he would write the name of God. Only the consonants. No vowels. And when it was read, they would come to that place where the name of God was, and as they were reading, as they were going through, he would say, he would bow his head and say, Hashem. Which simply means the name. That's the reverence that they held the name of God in. What does that mean to us today? It means nobody knows it. That name is, in essence, lost to us. People want to say it's Jehovah, That's just a way of throwing other vowels into it. The only problem is there's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Some people want to say Yahweh. The reality is we don't know. But we do know the name that God has given us through His Son, through whom there there is salvation by no other name. What is that name? By the name of Jesus. Jesus. What does that mean, Yeshua? God is salvation. And so, as we look at this, he's declaring to him his name, the great I Am. Now, we've been studying John on Sunday mornings, right? And we've seen all of these these things that Jesus has done. In the Gospel of John, you have seven miracles that lead to seven discourses, and then in the middle of which there are seven I Am statements. What is Jesus declaring to us? Who God is. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is sharing with us. He's showing unto us who God is. Just this last Sunday morning, didn't we see how how Jesus said, unless you believe, I am you will die in your sins. And we look at that and we think, that's kind of strange, until you understand it in the context of the, of the, that the rabbis understood it in. When we get to the end of chapter 8, we're going to know that they understood what Jesus was saying because they're going to pick up rocks to stone Him. Because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. In essence, before Abraham was, I am eternal God. The very name of God. That's what Jesus is declaring. Just what God was showing to Moses right here. I am that I am. I am the becoming one. I am becoming everything that you need. Everything that we need wrapped up in Almighty God. Moreover, verse 15, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob has sent me to you, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. The great I am. Well, he goes on. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, He appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Don't you see what God is saying to them there? Listen. I am always with you. I was with you in that dark place when you were depressed. I was with you when you thought nobody else was was noticing. I was with you when you were going through those struggles that you didn't think anybody else cared about. But here God is saying to the nation of Israel, I was with you for 400 years of bondage. And I'm still with you today. And today is the day of deliverance. And so he's sending Moses to do this work. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. The Bible teaches us in the book of Ephesians that whom God knew, He also did predestine. And people want to trip over the election of God, that God is sovereign, that God chooses whom He will choose, that God gives mercy to whom He gives mercy and compassion to whom He gives compassion. But at the same time, God's choice has always been based on His foreknowledge. What does that mean? What did God just say about Pharaoh? I am sure he will not let you go. God already knows what Pharaoh is going to choose. And so as the Lord hardens his heart, or as God fixes his choice, the choice that Pharaoh has already made, because God already knows, that's what we see in the sovereignty of God. It messes with our noodles. But then, we don't know everything, do we? I don't know every choice someone is going to make. Does God? Certainly He does. And if He does, doesn't He have the right then to choose based on man's free will? God uses His sovereignty based on man's free will. How do we know that? Because in the Bible, folks, we see both. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man in dynamic tension to one another the bible says both are true so then both are true that's what it means to be god that's why i didn't get the job that's why you didn't get the job either because god is able to do that and so he says here about pharaoh I know what Pharaoh's going to choose. I know Pharaoh's not going to let the people go. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst, and after that, he will let you go. And I will give his people, or I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, Articles of silver and of gold. Clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The Lord said in the law. Not to allow a slave to leave. When he finished his service. Empty handed. And God expects the same out of his people. Who have served for 400 years. The Pharaohs of Egypt. That they would receive. Back pay. So. It's going to be miraculous. God's going to do all these miracles. The, the nation of Egypt, the people of Egypt, are going to be blown away by all the stuff that God has done and all the ways that God has moved. And so as the children of Israel leave, if they ask them, they're going to freely give. And when we come to around chapter 35 of the book of Exodus, you know what you're going to see? The children of Israel giving an offering for the building of the tabernacle As far as I know, it's the only time this has ever occurred where Moses had to tell the people, stop giving. It's too much. We have too much gold, too much silver, too much of everything. Stop. So they had learned as they go through their wilderness journey how to honor the Lord, not only with the first fruits of what God had already given them, but to realize, why do we have any of this anyway? Where did we get this gold? Where do we get this silver? Where do we get these things? But from God, from God's hand. Well, the scripture goes on. In chapter 4, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to me. So you see, Moses is still struggling with this. I don't really think the bottom line is he doesn't want to go. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Moses has to, has to realize that. So he's, he's coming up with all these objections. Well, what if they still don't want to listen? So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, a rod. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. What's in your hand? In Paul's hand, there was a pin. Peter's hand, fish fishing pole. In John's hand, he was mending nets. Well, let's look back at him. In Paul, as he surrendered himself to the Lord, what did God have him do? Pen 13 epistles. The majority of the New Testament coming under his authorship through the Holy Spirit. Peter became a fisher of men, didn't he? Didn't John become one who mended nets, the apostle of love, mending the relationships, broken relationships between people? As we look at how God calls his people, it's always that question. What's in your hand? What has God gifted you to do? God has not gifted me to play a harmonica. But he has Fritz. So when Fritz comes to the Lord and the Lord says, Fritz, what do you got in your hand? Well, nothing. It's in my mouth. I have a harmonica. Well, then God says, I'm going to use that. Doesn't God use it? whatever is in your what's in your hand because so many times we say i can't do anything for the lord because i'm this or i'm that but god asks what's in your hand would you give your sticks to god because that's basically what moses says i got a stick i got a rod and god's going to use that rod what's in your hand what will you give to the lord that god can use What will you allow? I've known many friends that, that, a couple that I can think of right off the top of my head, that all they ever really wanted to ever be a part of was riding motorcycles their whole life. So where does God have them? Motorcycle ministry. Because what's in your hand? Bike? Well, go use it for the Lord. When you reach that place where you can say, hey, I'm nothing of me, but with Him I can do all things, and God says, what's in your hand? Man, it's time to use that for the Lord. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. However God is moving. We want to give that, because isn't little much in the hands of God? One little boy came up to a a disciple one day, and he heard Jesus say, tell all the people to sit down, And, and they sit them down in different groups. And this little boy was brave enough to, I think he comes up to Andrew, says, here's my lunch. What's in your hand? Because a little boy said, my lunch, 5,000 people got fed. What's in your hand? What's in your hand that you can give to the Lord? Well, for Moses, we'll see. Moses says, this is a rod, this rod that he used to shepherd the sheep. And so, the Lord says to him, and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. How many of you guys like snakes? Right on. You get along good with my brother, Eric. My brother raises snakes. He laughs at me. He raises snakes. It's like you walk in his house and he's got cage after cage after cage full of snakes. It's ridiculous. But anyhow. <clears throat> he throws down his rod. His rod becomes a snake and Moses does what we would do, right? Woo-hoo, later. I don't want have nothing to do with that anymore. One time we were at, at our at our house in, in Yucca Valley and, and uh, um, I was in the, the living room and Kathy calls out to me. The dog's barking like crazy and Look out in the background. there's this big old, it had to be, four or five foot bull snake. Now, bull snake is a good snake, as far as snakes go. Good in the way that it doesn't bite you and kill you, but it eats all the, the varmints, you know, the little mice and stuff that, that are around out in the desert. So that part was cool. So I didn't want to run out there and just lop off the bull snake's head, which, by the way, turns out that it would have been a lot easier than what I chose to do. And I, how many of you guys had ever seen the Crocodile Hunter? You guys ever see that guy? He just walks up to the you know, m- number one most poisonous snake in the world and starts playing with it. He grabs it by the tail and swings it around, and he always, well, he, God rest his soul, he's not alive anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to let that go. But anyway, he, he, was, he would play with the snake. So I thought, you know, if he can do it, Certainly I can do it. So I come up to that snake, but I'm not quite to the point where I just want to reach over and grab his tail like he does. So I got a shovel, and I thought, I'll be real nice, and I'll just scoop it under the snake and fling him over into the back of the yard, and he can go off, you know, eat a mouse somewhere. That was the plan. It's not always how things work out. So I scoop the snake up, and he crawls off. Apparently he doesn't know what I'm trying to do. So I scoop under again, he crawls off again. But he's getting angry. So I scoop again, he crawls off again. Now he's coming at me. So I jump to the side, I put the shovel underneath him, and I go to fling him like that. Well, apparently I didn't pass physics. Because when I got the snake to about right here, (laughs) he just comes straight down... Now, he didn't go down my shirt, but he comes straight down my back. Now, I would love to say that I was just brave as all get out and I just turned around, but the reality is I squealed like a little girl and run. <laughs> so I understand where Moses is coming from. I put the stick down and it becomes a snake. That was it. You know, that, I was done with the snake, the snake was done with me. He was so mad after that, he left. But nonetheless, Moses throws down his rod, becomes a snake, he runs away, and then God says, pick it up by the tail. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Now, do you know that God doesn't call us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do? So if the Lord calls you to pick up a snake by the tail, just like he said to Moses, he'll give you the, the strength that you need to do it. I am thankful that as of today, he has not called me to pick up a snake by the tail. And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hands. So it turns back into the rod. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now the Lord says, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Put your hand in your bosom, and when he, and, and he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous. What does the Bible teach us? Where does the evil come from? Does it come from our hands, or does it come from our heart? The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, God gives him a picture. Your, Moses, your lack of faith, your flesh, whatever, this, this struggle that you're having within you, it's a struggle of your heart. So, when he touched his heart with his hand and he pulled it away, his hand is leprous. His fa- leprosy in the Bible, always a, a, a symbol of sin. What's he saying? Look, my hands are only flesh, and the flesh is corrupt. And I can do nothing apart from Him. This is what's in me. This is what comes out of me. This is who I am. But then God says, put your hand back. And He takes it back, and it's made clean. Why? Because He's the God of the second chance. Didn't Moses fail the first time? But so did God say, that's it, Mo. You're out, I'm going to get somebody else. No. No. He gives him another chance. If God gave Moses another chance, will he give you one? Two? Three? Ten? How many chances do you need? I was reminded a long time ago, Kathy was, was thinking about the journey her and I have had in life, and she was saying to me, you know, Jackie, I'm so thankful that you're not like you used to be, and God has done all this, this neat stuff and and you know she's kind of rejoicing in where we are now, and i I as we were talking, I just shared with her, you know i this is what I know, I know that I am that person, my heart still leprous, the flesh is still diseased. what makes me clean is jesus christ it's Jesus in my life. It's not that I had a moment with Jesus and now the rest of my life is clean. It's abiding with Him. Holding on to Him. Drawing near to Him. Realizing that I am only a new creation in Christ. Not a new creation of my own. And here the Lord... Isn't that what the Lord has shown Moses? Moses, even though your heart is is full of, of wickedness and sin... Even though the flesh is weak, I can make you clean. I can make you fresh. I can make you new. And so, again, he's dealing with all these things. Moses is saying, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm afraid. I don't know if I'm the right man for the job. But, hey, God has a way of getting you one way or the other. It's a lot easier if we just say... Y'all remember Jonah, right? Oh, I ain't going, Lord. I don't care what you say. I ain't going. How did that work out for him? Yeah, not so good, right? And none of us aspire to be whale vomit on the beach, do we? No. That's what ended up with Jonah. So we want to hear what God is saying, how God is directing. So... He said to him again, Put your hand in your bosom. So he put it in his bosom again and drew it out. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that you may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Again, we see picture, don't we? Picture water becomes blood. And we see that Ephesians chapter 5 tells us what is the water? Water is the Word of God. And when did the Word of God become blood? When Jesus died on the cross our sins nothing but the blood can make us clean nothing but the blood can set us free and so we take a look and we see the picture that that moses is painting for them and moses said to the lord oh lord here he goes again another excuse here lord i am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant but i am slow of speech and slow of tongue Do you remember where Moses got his learning? The best schools in Egypt, right? He was trained in word and deed. Acts chapter 7 says, Moses was greatly trained in word and deed. Acts chapter 7 is a commentary on on the book of Exodus. So we take a look at it. So Moses is just throwing out excuses now. He's throwing out excuses because he doesn't want to go. Lord, I don't want to go. Uh, You know, he, he doesn't feel adequate. The bottom line is what? He's not trusting God. He's going to come to the place where he says, I will trust you. When we do that, we're ready for the next step. So here he's going, but the Lord, the Lord gets a little frustrated. Well, God doesn't get frustrated, but he gets a little sterner with him. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples... You're going to be brought up before charges, before the governors and the rulers of this land, but don't worry about the things that you're going to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance when it's time. The Holy Spirit will guide you and show you what to say. Probably many of us have experienced that in our life. You're sitting down a cup of coffee with a friend. You start talking about spiritual matters and the next thing you know, you're quoting a Bible verse and you're thinking, how did I know that? The Holy Spirit give it to you. The Holy Spirit reveals those things to you. There have been many times in my life I would sit down and try to work up the courage to go witness. So I'd sit down and say, okay. Now if they say this, I'll say that. And I'd break out the whole catalog of all the responses that I could have for all the questions that they might ask and all the things that might come up. Until one day the Lord said to me, Jackie, why don't you just go and do your day and just trust me to give you what you need when I bring those people to you. By the way, if you want to pray a prayer that will be answered every single day, every time you pray it, pray, Lord, give me someone to share the word of God with today. I promise you, you will know who it is and when it's supposed to happen. As the Lord shows you those things. So hey, we, we want to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to show us. And this is what God's saying here. Moses, I made your mouth. I made you. I'll give you the words. But still, still, Moses has something else to say. But he said, Oh Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Oh, God, please send somebody else. Please send somebody else. I I don't want to go. Well, now we got down to the heart, didn't we? We're getting down to the heart of the matter. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hands, and with it you shall do signs." You know the cool thing? God didn't give up on Moses. Moses still didn't want to go. But God didn't give up on him. God said, okay, Moses, I'm going to send Aaron, your brother, with you. Now, there's going to be a whole group of consequences that will happen because God has to use Aaron in, in, uh, uh, as a part of, of Moses' ministry. That's okay. That's Okay. God didn't give up on Moses. God won't give up on you. God doesn't give up on me. God's going to accomplish his perfect plan still. He's still going to do that perfect work that he set out to do in the beginning. And we can rest in that fact. Folks, there is nothing you can do to destroy the plan of God. All you can do is limit your ability to be part of it. But God's still going to accomplish the work. And God's still going to use Moses. God still wants to use you. And what did he tell Moses to do as he left? Hey, grab that rod that's in your hand. Don't forget about what's in your hand when you answer the call of the lord here it is my pen if you're paul my fishing pole if you're peter my sewing kit for mending nets if you're john but whatever it is god's going to use it and use you to further his plan amen i mean why don't you stand with me and let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you so much, God, that you are the God of second chances, a God of third chances, a God who never gives up on his people. I thank you, God, that you revealed yourself to Moses as the the great I am. I am whatever you need. I am everything you need. Father, I thank you that you lay out in your word for us, that you're calling us to To rely on you fully and completely. Who am I? I am a tool in the Master's hand. And apart from Him, I am nothing. But in His hands, I can do all things. Oh God, that's so incredible for us to, to realize, to know. Father, all we need is you. You in every equation, whatever it is, as you are (laughs) the becoming one. You become everything we need. As Jesus would, would tell us, if you need sustenance, I am the bread of life. If you need water, I am living water. And he who comes to me will never thirst. If you need to know where to go i am the way if you need to know what's true i am the truth if you want to really experience life i am the life for you god make everything make sense you make everything work Lord, even as you are going to take this man, Moses, who's 80 years old and is content to stay on the backside of the desert, lost in obscurity forever, but yet, God, you say, no, it's time. It's time now. And so, God, there are are those of us here today you're saying the same thing to. It's time. For I have called you for such a time as this, is what the Lord would say to Esther. Ah, God, you know what you need and when you need it. Father, may we be those who answer the call. May we be those who maybe even like Moses, still don't want to go, but I'm going to be obedient. And so that even though there is that, that fear, even though there is that that desire inside to hide or to go somewhere else. We're going to take that little step of faith. And when we do, God, you're there. And then we take another and another. And before long, we are running to great heights, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Father, I pray that you would bestow your spirit upon your church in such a mighty way that we, like that little bush in the desert, would be ignited by the light and the flame and the fire of Jesus Christ. That we would shine forth that light that we wouldn't hide that light under a bushel, but that we would allow it to shine, Lord God, and bring others. Lord, bring people into Your family. Father, just give us the strength we need to fulfill the call that You've given us. And in the end, at at that last day, may we with one voice give you all the praise and the glory for what you have done in, through, and with each one of us. Father, we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.